Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 97, and we are re-embarking on the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson with Dawn Shard. We have a novella to tackle between Oathbringer and Rhythm of War, and that starts today. Paul, how are you? Great. I'm kind of excited to be back in Roshar. It's been a little while. Um, yeah, excited, excited to, to see, hope, hopefully, uh, Rissen and, and Lopin, who we're going to talk about, will, will come up on my, uh, <laughs> my characters list a little bit. So Elliot. excited to see what they're going to get into. It is fun to be back in Rashar. I'm trying to remember now all of the things I'm supposed to remember that are happening in, in Rashar. Now, now that we've finished our, our jaunt off in, in other worlds, so I'm trying to put AVRs and, and shades and things like that out of my head so I can refocus on things like Larkins and Sleepless and stuff like that. Don't put them too far out of your head. But mm-hmm. yes, you are you are correct. We do need to recap, which will be part of this episode. We'll be talking about... We'll be zooming out a little bit from our story before we actually tackle our chapters. And we'll be talking about the state of Roshar, what we know about whatever's happening. So we'll talk about that here in a second. But do you guys have two words to summarize the prologue through chapter five of Don Shard. Uh, Elliot first. My two words are granted and earned. Granted and earned. Paul? Uh, my two words are very deep. I have boat and island. Granted and earned. Boat and island. Can't wait for all four of these words. And we'll talk about Don Shard. All right. I want to open this episode with a little bit of context for you guys on on Dawn Shard. For me specifically as a Stormlight Archive fan, I picked up the Stormlight Archive coincidentally about 2 months after Oathbringer came out and I devoured the whole thing. I loved it. I instantly reread it. And then I reread it again, and then I told everybody I knew that they needed to read it. And since I have read and reread the first three books and Edge Dancer of the Stormlight Archive. Starting now, we are entering a very fuzzy and faded part of my brain where I binged this book and Rhythm of War. This book in about two days, Rhythm of War in about four days. And I've read them both once. I remember the the main plot points, the main takeaways, the Sander Lynch at the end, like, you know, that's pretty unforgettable. But as far as, you know, 80% of the content, I'm fairly new to this. And I had to wait for this. It's three years. I, I read Oathbringer right when it came out. And then I waited for so long and finally got Dawn Shard three years later after reading Oathbringer which is not the case for you guys. We are two and a half, three months removed from Oathbringer, if even that. So 
count yourselves lucky. Your your time to wait will come, which will be for probably Stormlight 5, but the wait but for you guys is a lot shorter than the wait for me was. Yeah. See who has the advantage about, now. If we want to talk about the grander Cosmere, I don't know that I'll ever be wait, waiting. That uh, That author guy can write, I think, faster than I can read, so I'm not worried. Good just, point. But then I think about how they're supposed to be like an era two, right? With five more Stormlight books. And I'm like, that's well, going to be a while. Whenever I'm like 40, then I'll I'll get to read that series. Right. All right. Your two words, Paul. What are your deep meaning for your two words? Oh, yes. Uh, very deep. Um, um, well, you see, our characters here are about to go on an excursion to an island okay um to explore the island and the way that they're going to get there is actually by using what's called a a boat and which was my second word that's where that comes into play um and so they're going to be using a boat and going to an island that's what i know so far uh, and that's what I'm, I'm taking away um the boat is called the wander sail which is very cool because we know about that. We read the Wandersail chapter in Darathil and all that story, so um, those, super fun. The Stormlight trivia episodes are serving you well now. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I know so many useful facts, like about Darathil, who isn't really a character in our stories, but was referenced as a story in the story once, so very fun. Elliot, your two words? Paul, I think your your words are going to outshine mine. You, you put a lot of thought into those. That was uh, that was pretty, pretty, pretty deep, cerebral. My words are granted and earned, and I want to talk about them in relationship to authority or leadership, and kind of the difference between like authority that's been granted to you, like a like a title or a position, and then authority that you earn or like the the respect side of that leadership because we get to see Rissen kind of battle or, or deal with that a little bit in these chapters. So I'm excited to talk about that. Sounds good. Do you guys have anything to uh, mention before I want to talk about what is happening on a grand scale of Roshar before we start talking about our story real quick. Am I okay to talk about that? Well, yes. But um, first off, this is my first time reading the physical book. I have a physical book here that I've been reading, and this is the first time on the podcast I ever do set. What we're ninety seventh episode, not including like bonus stuff. Um, I'm reading the book, and Trevor, you had quote spell checks for us this time, which is not me spelling them because I've seen the spelling now, but that we're still going to try and pronounce names because there were some weird ones which I was very grateful to be reading the physical book and not have to try and spell them because it, they would have all been wrong. I, I am uh, slightly bummed we... that I can't ask you to spell Durlwin just by hearing it. So that's a bummer. When I read this, I cannot get out of my head Dr. Lawan. In my head... Every time I read Dr. Lawan and it's 
Oh, it's terrible. I can't get I can't get it out of my head. And now you won't either. <laughs> True. Oh, I love that to death. Um, but I know you had two others there. If we want to do those, go for it. But before you dive in, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't really know what to do. So we have a name which I don't actually remember who this person is. I know they're part of our story. It's like a crew member or maybe one of the like more higher captain people. Well, and yeah, I'll, I'll clear that up for you here in a second. Okay, the the name is spelt K S T. L-E-D. There's one vowel there in, like, what, seven letters? You you want to give a, a stab at that? Your uh, guess is as good as mine. I, yeah, I, I'm going to just guess that it's, like, Castled? Castled? Something like that? I want to say Castled. That's like <laughs> what my heart is telling me, but I don't think that's right. The the hidden vowel that I would add is an I, so I would go for Kistled? Okay, but kissled, kissled, kissed, yeah. There we go. I th- those Thalen names. I want to just like yeah, just slur a bunch of consonants together. Dorlan and Dorlan, not Doctor Lawn. No, not that one. And our other one is another crew member, which makes way more sense. It's N I K L I. I'm just gonna say it's. Nick Nickley, Nickley, gotta yeah. be right. Nickley, like jolly old Saint Nickley, you know. There we go. We don't have Kate Redding's beautiful voice telling us what these are, so exactly, we, there's no way for yeah. us to know yet. We're supposed yeah. to get it soon. We, we're so we're guessing. We're just guessing right now. No, who who knows? So, anything else? Oh, you wanna... no, I don't have anything. I'm ready to hear your little. I'm ready for the part where you come in and try to ruin my day with things that I didn't realize I should have realized or whatever from our books. No, you're, it, this isn't supposed to blow your mind. This is just supposed to recap you from our okay. novellas that were that we've been talking about. So the end of Oathbringer. We have won a battle, won the battle of Thalen City, right? Our podcast background that's behind us right now. Um, during the entirety of Oathbringer, or actually at the start, start or at the end of Words of Radiance, Odium summons the Everstorm, and through then, from from that point on, through the rest of Oathbringer, he kind of tries a blitz for all of the Oath Gates. He tries to take over as many Oath Gates as fast as he can because he knows that's how the the, the Knights Radiant are going to successfully fight him. So he takes um, Kolinar, he takes some of the uh, Western ones, which we've, at the very end of Oathbringer, there's that map scene, and they kind of map out where, uh, which Oathgates the Radiants have, which ones they don't. So they, at the end of Oathbringer, they win back, or they win Thalen City. So Odium has failed on that one. You cannot have my pain and all that fun stuff. And then... There's a couple of Oathgates that are still nobodies. And that's where we pick up here. Um, we are going to... By by the end of this episode, we will be on a voyage towards Aemea, which we know has an Oathgate on it. And so that's where this takes place. is sometime between 
Oathbringer, the end of Oathbringer, and the beginning of Rhythm of War, there's a one-year time difference. And whether that's whether the story is closer to Oathbringer or closer to Rhythm of War, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's somewhere in there, though. And uh, there's there's probably an answer to that. Our comments section can probably answer that for you guys. And it's somewhere in there, and we're going on this voyage to Aemia to see what we can find. There's a war happening. There's some battle lines that have been drawn on Roshar that were they're in a full fledged war with the Voidbringers at this point. Anything else to be about? I'm back. We're back in the world, getting in the right mindset. Mm -hmm. A couple other things to touch on is we've got Windrunners that are that have squires of their own. So Lopin is going to have um, some of his own squires. Huyo seems to have his own uh, Spren, and so both of them are going to be joining our voyage. So we do have plenty of Windrunners at this point, um, enough to spare a couple for a voyage to Aemia and still have plenty at your theory. So uh, Although, any questions? Who... Whoever trusted Lopin going on a quest unsupervised was uh, not thinking clearly. Just want to get that out there. It was Kaladin, wasn't it? Kaladin talks to him. It was, was like, Kaladin. "Hey, we've got a we've got a job for you." He probably was just like, "All right, we need to get this guy out of here for a little while." So you go go and do this little side quest. It's it's for um, Kaladin's mental health. He can't deal with Lopin yeah. for that long. He's like, "Get out." <laughs> I'm yeah. done. And Lopin would want nothing more than a special quest, you know, to be But yeah, but the the crew members who are like, "Whoa, a knight's radiant is coming with us." I feel like they're really going to be disappointed or confused or or what. Um it it'll be who funny. I, I'm actually guy? curious to see how that how that works out. I got to say, we should talk about Lopin for a second here before we get into the the chapters actually. First off, Lopin is ridiculous. I just want to say that for these chapters. Like the the lovable, you can't not like the guy, ridiculous. But you're just constantly like, oh, Lopin, you you are you, you are Lopin. There's there's no other way to describe that. And it made me wonder, Trevor, you the told Lopin. us before. Yes, the sorry, the Lopin. Which by the way, I also noticed the narrator has started to call him the Lopin, which I, I, yeah, I get it. We're like getting it from Lopin's perspective. So it's like his thoughts, I guess. But I, I chuckled when I noticed the narrator is starting to call him the Lopin. Like, okay. <laughs> anyway, Trevor, you told us at one point that the Bridge Four characters that we know are based on people that Brandon Sanderson knows in his life, or at least some of them. Right. So, so my question is. Does Brandon Sanderson have a friend like this? <laughs> I don't believe Lopin is one of them. They're like 80% of Bridge Four are somebody, or at least a cameo, or inspired okay. by somebody that Brandon Sanderson knows, a close friend or whatever, but I don't believe Lopin is one of them. Be pretty hilarious if he he did have someone in his life like this and i gotta i gotta imagine someone inspired you know this kind of personality that he's written into the lopin but yeah that's pretty funny i mean lopin's spren grows four arms at the end of oathbringer just to flip off kaladin four times as he flies away so <laughs> what 
What is there not to love about Lopin and his spread? Right. See, they're supposed to be like counterbalancing, right? We talked about that before. And I feel like they get they're they're too similar. Oh, so is Lopin Sprint supposed to be like dark and moody, like like Kaladin or, or something? Or just really like serious. Serious and humble, maybe. Okay, because Lopin is more prideful and like super flighty, ridiculous, goofy, you know? But uh the sprint doesn't seem to be helping in that part. Real quick, before we start talk about our chapters, we'll get there eventually, I promise. What are your guys' expectations for Dawn Shard? Are you excited for Dawn Shard, or do you just want to get to Rhythm of War? Like, You can be honest here. Are you keep keeping the name of the book in mind? And the ongoing joke we have on this podcast that everything is a Dawn Shard. So are are you guys excited to maybe define what that means? Or well, I'll, I'll stop talking. I'm very excited to define what that means. And, you know, m- mostly for personal reasons so that I'll get to look back and be like, wow, I was right. You know, I cannot wait until I'm proven right. I- I'm being very sarcastic right now, by the way. Um I am like seriously. Eventually. Oh, for sure. Seriously, though, I am very excited, um, and I'm I'm kind of like that's my prediction right now. Is on this quest, we're gonna learn what a dawn shard is. I'm just going off the title there, um, but I, I that's that's my biggest question right now. Is what's that? What are, what are we gonna learn about that? I'm very excited for this story. Mainly for Rissen herself. I when she first showed up in the first interlude we saw with her, was that back in Wave Kings even? She's gotten one interlude per book. I found her kind of annoying when we first met her. It was like, okay, I don't I don't think I could stand very much of her. But but the more we've seen of her, the more she's like intrigued me. And I actually really want to learn more about her character. So to get a story where we get to dive into, you know, her character, I'm actually really excited about. So I, I also want to learn what a Dawn Shard is. I also really just want to learn about a, Aemia in general. So yeah, it, it's going to be a nice, I think, little intro back into Rhythm of War. Yeah. I have, I have one other thought right quick before we move forward. Uh, I think this is the first time that I'm really way more excited about what we're going to learn about the world that we're going to see uh, rather than like w- learning about our characters, seeing what they're going to go through. Um, because yeah, I feel kind of similarly about Risen. Um, I think Risen is going to go up on my list. Just, she seems to be kind of a level headed leader here. Um, and hopefully I'll like Lopin more too. I would love to see Lopin go to his next ideal, all, all that stuff. Um, but I'm really curious to see what, they're going to learn, um, but I'm not super invested in them as characters like I have been with Kaladin, Shallan, Dalinar, Adolin, Zeth, like all, the whole other crew. Uh, and so I think I have kind of a different like outlook or view on this book from the get-go. That is a good point. Lopin, about the ideal. Uh, Lopin's on ideal two right now, as far as we know. I mean, there could have been something in the time skip, but I doubt it. Uh, so he just said ideal two at the end of Oathbringer, 
on, on accident almost. And both Teft and Kaladin are on ideal three right now. So they're, they're, there's wiggle room for him to grow without passing our, our precious Kaladin. So. Okay. Prologue. Were you guys expecting to see this name ever again? If you're talking about Yalb, the answer is no. Not not at all. I thought we had lost him a long time ago. And I was excited because we we liked him. I remember way back, like I remember those first Shalon chapters that we that we ever read. That they this featured is, this is the way of kings part one that we're talking yeah. about yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. i remember y'all being like the a like my part of my favorite parts of those chapters was this goofy good meaning sailor guy who's kind of helping shallan out and then he was gone for a while and then when he teamed up with shallan again eventually he just kind of died right off the bat there and it's like oh sad and then here he's back again so i was like hey all right i'll take it when when i read this for the first time a little over a year ago i was completely blown away that yalb was alive but as our friend tim who's been on the podcast a couple times i was i was conversing with him that night that we got don shard he's like oh yeah i knew i knew yalb was alive and he's and i was like what what how and then he says oh well in in words of radiance Shawan stops to draw some flowers on her way to the Shattered Plains, and she randomly draws three people coming out of the water. It's just like an inspiration, and it pops into her mind. It's like three sailors crawling out of the ocean. And so and so, he's like, yeah, so Yob's alive. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what? What is that? I understand the reference, but why, are you, why does that mean that Yob is alive? I was... I was confused. I, I missed that. That's quite yeah, the connection. That, I'm impressed. Way to go, Tim. That like very vaguely rings a bell for me. Like maybe I remembered possibly Shalon drew a lot of pictures in my defense. She she drew a lot of So you did get foreshadowing that Yelp was alive, but I I missed it. I I was not expecting it either. And it did bring forward in my mind again the discussion about character deaths that we've had before in this this book series and how it seems like we don't or we very rarely lose characters. We we have not lost hardly any major characters from the start of this book. There's been you know you can come on one hand the number of, of major characters we like. And Yob isn't really a, a major character necessarily, but it, it kind of brings back to my mind this whole, if no one ever dies in this story, is that a problem? Like, is that an issue? The fact that we've gone three massive books heading into our, our fourth one, and we haven't really lost any major characters with probably the notable exception of, of Elokar, I think. Oh. I was with yeah, Dun Dunny hurt. That there were saying. there were definitely a few side characters that, that did hurt. They definitely tugged at the heartstrings a little bit. Major character death, Elokar probably, but no 
no bigger characters than that. And I feel like any other books series, we probably would have had one of those by now. And it kind of got me thinking, I was posting some of this in our, our uh, Patreon sponsored uh, discord channels about how I'm not sure that this is a, my, my first thought was like, you know, hold on a second. No one's died. What's going on? How, how can I read a book series where that doesn't feature, you know, a character death. But the more I thought about it, I, I was thinking, I don't know that I don't know that is necessarily a problem. I think we still we still are tackling such big issues in this book series. We haven't even need to to dealt with the loss of a major character. And then on top of that, we haven't really experienced the loss of a of a major character as readers, but our characters definitely have. If you think of all of our major characters, Kaladin, Shalon, Dalinar, and you could even branch out into a few others, they've dealt with serious loss in of like close friends or family Kaladin with his brother Tien I guess it's all family Shalon and her parents and Dalinar and his wife and so we've watched the, our, our characters deal with death but we haven't really had to deal with death yet but I wanted to ask you guys Paul and Trevor what do you guys think yeah I'm, I'm, I'm getting nervous <laughs> I'm getting real nervous but I want to know what you guys think Paul and Trevor do you feel like you know, a major character death is a like a necessary component to a you know a huge epic story like this. You can go first, Paul. I, for one of this scale and this length, I would say yes. I think if you go, if you went the entire time and never had a notable hero die, then it's like was was it really a danger to begin with? You know, I, I think it just showcases the the severity of dangers at hand. Um, and, and this Yalb situation specifically confuses me because it's an easy character to let die. Like, honestly, like, I'd, like I wasn't like, oh my gosh, Yalb, no. Like, right. uh, Yalb was cool, but it wasn't, there wasn't emotion attached, really. Uh, especially because we were kind of removed from Yalb. Like, he was at the beginning of The Way of Kings and maybe a couple times throughout... I don't remember the last time we saw him, but then he, he like he was in part one of Way of Kings and part one upwards of Radiance. Yes, yeah, exactly. So like throughout the whole book of the Way of Kings, throughout the later part of the book, I it's like, oh yeah, okay, sure, y'all, whatever. But like, it wasn't. But but I'm just like, why would we? Why did he not let him go? Like, couldn't he? He could just insert anyone's name there, which y'all is one we recognize. We know who this is, but. It see it seems like a little much to like bring him back. I guess um, I was kind of confused because um, like there's there's letting a big character die, which changes a lot of things. But someone like really, I would consider my Yalb to be pretty minor. Um, I was confused why he was he was brought back. It's not like Yasna, you know. I'm starting to think nobody from that ship actually died. <laughs> Possible, yeah. I don't have a big problem with Yalb coming back. I mean, every, because he's not a huge major character, he gets a cameo in the prologue here, and then we don't see him, really. So you, you see him in the prologue, and you're like, oh, he's alive. That's cool. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Well, we'll see what happens when we get into uh, Rhythm of War. True. All right. The actual content of Dawn Shard. We get Cheery Cheery, 
our Larkin at the end of Oathbringer sucks in some void light and kill and drains a Voidbringer of its void light in Thalen City. And then they can kill the Voidbringer because he doesn't have any regen juice. Um, you guys remember the red investiture versus blue investiture talk about shades? Um, a couple episodes, last episode, um, and how red investors investors corrupted, corrupted, right? It's still the same magic system. It's just corrupted, in quotes. So cheery cheery can still feed off of it, but it's going to twist some insides, if you will. She she can still drain like the same way she could drain a a windrunner of their stormlight but when when you do that to a voidbringer it's going to damage the larkin does that make sense so cheery cheery is sick and the only idea anybody has for her is uh take her to aemia maybe they can help aemia is this big question mark on the map for years and years and years and the larkin are supposed to be from there so go there and maybe cheery cheery will be saved that's their that's their hope did you guys pick up on that from from chapter one through five i i picked up on all those yes. pieces hearing you say that in a sentence though helped me kind of piece all that together i didn't i didn't quite put together that cheery cheery was you know corrupted by the void light but that makes total sense given everything that we we knew so going to going to emia to try and fix that yes i i agree i i didn't put it together that cheery cheery was sick because of like void light or corrupted light or whatever um but i knew she was that that, that cheery cheery was um not optimally healthy and so Rissen that was kind of an extra motivation to go to this island and, and see it it's kind of a throwaway chapter before our big oathbringer finale but when they it has to do with the king's drop sequence when they kill that light weaver or the fused light weaver and cheery cheery sucks in the void light she passes out and she's obviously not well on the on the treasury floor so that's where we pick up with Rissen and cheery cheery is cheery cheery is obviously very sick and won't leave her little shinovar plant what do you guys know about AMEA? talk to me about Anything and everything you know about Aemia. I remember Axis the Collector is Aemian, right? He is. That's the first thing that always pops into my head. That's the first thing that pops into my head, too. And as we were starting these chapters, like getting into chapter one, I started, I, I kind of paused and was like, okay, I, I want to try and take stock of what I know about Aemia so far. And it was Axis, Axis the Collector. But we also know, or at least we've heard reference of like two different types of Aemians. I don't remember which type Axes is, but we know there's two different types, right? A Dissian Aemian and a Sy- uh Simeon or something like that? Yeah, Sy- something yeah. like that. So there's at least two different types that we're looking for. We know that, well, we're going to Aemia for... Cheery Cheery, so no Larkins have to do something with Amia. We know from the interlude that we got in Oathbringer that 
Aemia has to do with soul casting and fabrials somehow because we had that that interlude with was it Kaza was her name. Yep. She was a soul caster and she's like, you know, almost completely consumed by her soul casting magic, trying to get to Amy to to heal herself. Interesting kind of similar parallels there. So we know Fabrils and soul casting. We know that Amy was scoured at some point. Like we don't really know. At least I don't recall like what that means specifically, but we know that's a thing. The scouring of Amy. And then we again from that interlude were also curious if Amia had something to do with the sleepless or the Mr. Kremling man because we saw one of those in that interlude. So oh, also it's surrounded by like a storm, right? There's a storm kind of protecting the the island trying to get to. So I felt like that was kind of everything we knew so far. So if you look at a Roshar map, Roshar is split near where Shinovar is, there's the Misted Mountains, which is a direct uh, inspiration of the Misty Mountains in Middle-earth. As the high storm comes across from right to left, it is broken by the Misted Mountains and splits around Shinovar and Aemia. So, both Shinovar and Aemia are not affected by the high storm. However, Aemia has plenty of its own problems. It has a permanent storm but that has to do with wind currents and the ocean, like the cold ocean and the hot air coming off of Roshar from the high storm. Like it has a, a full on rain cloud just sitting right on top of Aemia all the time. Whether that's natural or supernatural, that's a, another question, but we'll get there. Anything else? One last thing on that. I actually flipped back to that interlude and, and reread it because I was curious. And something jumped out at me as I was reading that. I think Kaza, the soul caster, may have seen a Larkin on that island. And I had not noticed this when we read it the first time. But I'll, I'll read this, and, and Paul, you can tell me what you think. This is like at the very end of that interlude. So she's made it to the island. She's like the only one left alive. They all got poisoned, right? Remember? Right. And she's like dying on the beach of the Aemian island that they landed on. And she sees this. She awoke to a small Kremlin scuttling across the rocks near her. It had a strange shape with large wings and a head that made it look like an axe hound. Its carapace shimmered with dozens of colors. When we read it the first time, I was like, oh, Kremlin. Okay, cool. We, there's crabs everywhere, right? Who cares? But when I read this a second time, I was like, ah, that could be Larkin, perhaps, with the wings and kind of the predator-style face and shimmering with dozens of colors. That That's interesting. Yeah, I definitely did not pick up that, that pick that up before. Like, no way. Um... That sounds convincing. Every every single time we see a Kremlin, I don't know whether to make it a hu- enormous deal of like that is a sleepless that is spying on something or someone, or just like oh, it's just a Kremlin. I'm kind of in the boat that every single Kremlin on the planet is is part of a sleepless at this oh, point. Oh wow, um, it's possible. Like I I just I I can't imagine him putting it in. I mean, I can't imagine him putting a Kremlin in just, like, the scenery, but, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. 
So, so now I'm fully expecting that when we get there, assuming we do get there in this story, that the whole island is just going to be swarming with Larkins. There's going to be like everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yes. That and AVRs and um, yes. what else? What else do we have? Shades and soul stamps. Yes. Those soul, soul stamped um, shades that changed their past so that they were always Larkin. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. And um, if you're if, if you're listening to this episode without listening to the previous uh, stories we just read, I, I apologize for that. Yeah, that we're also there's also going to be a bunch of silver ores and oh. stuff, like a bunch of places to get silver there too. Yep. Yeah. And the dawn shards, and the oh, heralds. Yes. It's going to answer every one of our problem or our questions ever. It, um, if and when we land on Aemia in the story, there's just going to be eight heralds on the beach with cocktails and laying out. They'll have. Like, yeah, with that- their pet Larkins and pet AVRs yep. and yeah. Would you like a Don Shard? Yes, exactly. Over there. <laughs> yes, favorite. exactly. We've got <laughs> candle Don Shards and Nightblood Don Shards and you know yeah. whatever you'd like. Here's a dark sphere for you and a Nightblood like sword for you and I'd- that's a good sound, but I'll save that. For I think later. I think we're on. Yeah, I think we're on the right trail. I think, I think so too. Would figure it out. There's oh, no yeah. point in honestly reading the rest of this. Like I think we've. Oh, the... Yeah, way to spoil it. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> it's supposed to be spoiler-free content. I'm so sorry. All right. Anything else before we embark on the voyage? We have a a cast which will all go through a cast of characters so that we can keep track of all of these new people we have Rissin and Chiri Chiri we know them from before Uh, Rissin is our paralyzed Thalen Reshi merchant Thalen Reshi she's kind of both I mean she's Reshi but she grew up in Thalen and around the world so she's got all sorts of stuff Uh, we have Lopin and Huyo our Herdazian Windrunners from Eurythiru have joined the... I almost said circus. <laughs> have joined yeah. the voyage. Um, we have Kord. That's rhythm, that's rhythm of War. Yeah, sorry. Thing, when, yeah. They, when everyone joins the circus. The, yeah. the rhythm of war, the actual rhythm is... Sorry. Oh my gosh. Okay. You're, you're welcome. We have... That's- Cord. That's the funniest joke you've made, Trevor. Oh my gosh, I'm so proud. We have Cord, which is Rock's eldest daughter. Cord has a twin sister named of Gift. And Cord speaks Horn Eater and Vaden um, and a little bit of Alethi. Um, so the are you okay over there paul it's hilarious <laughs> the rhythm of war <laughs> i'm so sorry i'm so sorry I, that's the funniest thing i've heard all day i i think okay. reading a story about lopin has a has affected us we, we've got I'm, a bit of I'm, the ridiculous going around i'm trying to contain myself i really am you can you can continue i'll mute my mic we have rushu who's also from your she is an ardent and she, she's our local engineer nerd, uh, Elliot, and she was cons- 
conscripted, uh, appointed, appointed by Navani to join this uh, voyage and be their Fabriel lady. And so that, yeah, that's what she's there for. Is anything Fabriel related, she will probably be part of the conversation. Uh, and then we have Durlwyn, Dr. Lawan. She mm-hmm. is the captain of the Wandersail. As far as maritime structure goes, she is the captain of the vessel. Rissen owns the ship. Like, she has the deed of ownership, but Durlwyn is the uh, is the captain of the of the vessel. Her brother, Kistaled, is the leader of the infantry, the, the men-at-arms on the boat. Um, so... There's sailors, which will answer to Dorlwyn, and then there's the the infantry on the boat that will answer to Kistelet, if that answers your question, Paul. And then we also have Nick, uh, Nickley, who is a porter and will assist Rissen about the boat. She's paralyzed and needs some help climbing up and down the, the levels of the of the boat, and that's what Nickley is there for. Any Anyone else I'm missing? Any questions? I do want to talk about chapter three real quick because it's funny. This is our first Lopen point of view since Oathbringer part two. And the everybody who's about to go on the voyage comes to Navani in Eurothiru as to, to kind of present the case of we're, let's go to Aemia. And they don't really have to sell it because Navani's interested to, to begin with. Um, but they show up and Lopen's like, hey, I can fly. You want to see? And just pick some, pick some random, like the prince, the Reshi prince guy up and says, Hey, let's fly. And lashes him straight up all the way to the top of your theory. And it's like, Hey, check this out. And then Kaladin gives him a, a, a dressing down as they say. Again. And this is the guy they thought to send on the super important quest to go save the world. Yeah. They don't know how important it is quite yet, but it's fairly important. I was going to say, I feel like this is something that's more of like, not necessarily like this is going to save the world. Like, I I don't think they sent their save the world crew on this, but like an important crew, you know, like they're sending a surge, like a, a, a Knight's Radiant, but like a, I can't think of a better word for this. So everyone take this with a grain of salt, like an expendable one, you know, like someone who like, that sounds bad. Someone <laughs> less less crucial to to things at hand, I guess. Says so. says the person who has Lopin and Rissen on bottom five of their they, character two list. Pretty bad. They're pretty bad. They're pretty low on my list. I'm sorry, but they're above Teft. I so. I did think about as Trevor was just reading off our our list of crew there. There's not a lot of plot armor there on those uh those characters just to point that out we, we don't have any like key can't lose them types that does make me maybe a little bit worried for this voyage it, like we just talked about brandon sanderson doesn't seem to kill off characters hardly ever so i'm i'm honestly not actually worried at this point but if you wanted to take a cynical view you could say this ship could go down like and lose them all perhaps i do think it was funny that we mentioned not many, very many people die about the same prologue where a ghost ship 
was found and everybody on board died on trying to approach AMEA. Like nobody we knew was on it besides Kaza in that interlude. But I just think it's funny that he never kills off anybody important and then we're on a death mission to AMEA. Oh yeah, there's always going to be some red shirts, but yeah, we're I'm worried a little bit about this crew. Just a something to point out about the Rushy King in Chapter Three. He is a Dustbringer that was mentioned, but also the first time we meet him is in the second interlude we get of Rissen in Words of Radiance. And Rissen falls off the big crab island thing and is granted Chiri Chiri from the Reshi King. Do you remember that? After she falls off the island. Mm-hmm. And just a, a little tidbit here. The Reshi King is canonically trans. Back then, it referred to the Reshi King as a woman. And now he is a man. And is like dust bringer healing towards a man's body, which is just an interesting little tidbit okay. for you. Yeah. Good I to never know. notice that. So yeah. it, we are talking about the same person. If that okay. was. Yeah. That, that, okay. Yeah. That's why I brought it up. Cool. That's some clarification. Yeah. I, I don't think I had noticed. Anything else for you guys before we talk about some of uh broader themes of Rissen and then maybe some span reads here in a second. All right, Ellie, I'll let you lead this one. Chapter four, there's a, a couple interactions that lead to maybe a theme that we're getting for this story so far. And I'll just leave it at that and you can take it. Yeah. And I, I noted this against chapter four, but it really kind of tied into all the chapters up into that. And I don't know if I'm quite ready to call this a theme for this story yet or not. We'll see where it goes. But I've noticed that in all the stories, and maybe this is just me looking for what I want to read about, but there are definitely themes of leadership in in all of the stories that we've read so far, in all of our major characters as well. And here is is Rissen dealing with some you know, leadership discovery of her own as well. She's in this unique situation where she's she's crippled, right? So she can't walk, and yet she is the owner of this ship. And so she has this authority that's been granted to her as, in some manners, the person in charge of the whole voyage. Well, she quickly finds out that she doesn't actually have like authority over everybody. The sailors aren't really actually going to listen to her. They're going to listen to the captain. They take orders from the captain, and the captain kind of takes orders from Rissen. The The captain will go where Rissen tells her to, but she's going to do it in the way that she wants to as the captain. And as Rissen starts to interact with the crew, she kind of quickly learns that even though she's in a position of authority, she doesn't have the respect of the crew because they don't know her. They don't trust her, right? They've never seen her in action. They don't know what she's capable of. They don't know if she's someone that they can trust or not. So she's realizing that she has to not only kind of wield her granted authority, but she also needs to earn a position of authority as well. She needs to show them that she's a good leader. She needs to show them that they can trust her in the decisions that she's making. 
And she actually does a really good job of that through a few of these, you know, uh, through a few of these chapters, the, the importance of earning the respect of those that are, that are following you. So interesting little exploration and, and theme there for Risen. I, I have one thing to add to that um, because I think what we mostly are seeing or what I kind of predict we're going to keep seeing as well is Risen owns the ship like legally like like officially has the deed whatever owns the ship um and she's learned so much from is it vistim is that the name of her like little who she worked under or bobsk is it babsk bobsk whatever um and vistim was very good at what he did from what i know he was he was excellent um and she really learned like everything from him but it's different owning the ship and knowing what to do that's still different from doing it and harboring respect from a crew and in leading. And I think we're kind of seeing her make that jump of not just knowing what to do or where to go and the tools to do it, but like doing that and kind of earning, earning respect. And then she's also having kind of the internal struggle with she's now crippled. um, And so it it adds kind of another element of like insecurity with her and and worrying about that. So yep, yeah. It did make me sympathize a lot more with Risen of like trying to garner respect from from a crew of people is not an easy thing to do, um, and just kind of takes time. I don't have anything to add unless you want to talk about that more. Um... Chapter five, we get some interesting explanations on some science. And that's all I'll say. I'll turn it over to the science major in uh, the bachelor masters in the in the call here, and he can talk about science. I I'm an engineer, not a scientist. I want to make that clear. I have no do not claim to be a scientist out there. Uh however there was some parts of this chapter that really got my my engineer brain spinning. And I got some answers to my engineering questions in the chapter, which was even better. Usually you're just stuck kind of wondering, oh, yeah, I wonder how that works. No, we got an answer here in this chapter, which was super cool. And it was about the span reads. So they're, they're talking about kind of how span reads work. And, and Rushu, I'm starting to like her, she, she like does some, some engineer explaining to the to the the group and she starts to you know teach them about you know span reads and, and that's the point where i know most normal people kind of zone out like blah blah yeah whatever engineer over here was like oh yeah tell me more let's go and so she explains and she answers a question i've been wondering for a long time which was why do span reads not work on the ocean and I actually need a little bit of, of of help from our our Discord folks on this one, but then Rushu actually answered it for me as well in the, like the very next page that I was going to read after I chatted about it in the in the Discord. And she explains that span reads are paired fabrials. They're, they're fabrials that are linked to each other so that they mimic each other's movements. So that's how the the span read works. You grab one pen. And you move it, and the other pen moves in the exact same manner and draws the same letters that you're drawing. Pretty cool science, magic, whatever you want to call it. But 
Rusho explains that when you're on the ocean, your ship is bobbing around and it's moving and it's swaying with the waves. And so that motion is also picked up by the Fabriole. And then when translated over to the other one, it just, it doesn't work. It confuses the Fabriole or you get this like, you know, pen that's, that's running around and jolting and going everywhere. So you have to be on solid land in order to communicate via Fabriole. Span read. But this got me wondering, I began thinking, even when you're on solid land, this is actually a problem because you're sitting on a planet that's a sphere that, provided that it's following the same physics that Earth does, is spinning as it travels through space. And as an engineer, I had to sit down and, and sketch this out. So I did. So for I, I, took, I took 10 wow. minutes. It's a, it's a really, I know, I know. It's a very rough um, sketch for sure. But let me share with you guys what I sketched up. If you take a look in the Discord, I posted for you a little a little diagram that I drew up for you guys. So if you're on a planet and that planet is spinning, it's going to look something like this. Hopefully, Trevor, you can pull this up for our viewers on YouTube. And I apologize for you folks out there that are audio only. I can do some descriptive audio here in a second once you finish. Okay. So here in, in my little diagram, we've got a view of the planet of Roshar. We're looking down on top of it. And if you just look at the, the top diagram to, to start with, we're looking down on top of Roshar as if we're above the North Pole and we're looking down. So the, the planet is spinning in, in my diagram here in a counterclockwise direction. If you have one span read on one side of the planet at the top of my diagram, the little green scroll, and another span read on the other side of the planet in the, the orange scroll that you've got there, those two points on the edge of our sphere or our circle that is rotating actually have what's called a tangential velocity. So as they're traveling in that rotational uh, direction, their instantaneous movement is actually directly out perpendicular from the surface that they're on. And I know that's a lot of big words that a lot of you are rolling your eyes at, but it's, it's okay. Just look at my diagram. It's all going to be fine. Those big red arrows tell you what direction the tangential velocity is going in. You'll notice that the two span reads that are on the opposite sides of the planet are pointing in opposite directions. If you're on one side, you're traveling uh, to the right. If you're on the other side, you're traveling to the left. So if you tried to communicate from one span read to the other, your pen is already moving in the opposite direction of the pen of the span read that you're trying to communicate to. So I immediately thought of this as like, oh, that's a problem. And then my second diagram there on the bottom half just shows you kind of what that looks like. Even if you're not on complete opposite sides of the planet, let's say you're on the same continent like Roshar, you're just, you know, closer, but still further away. Even then your arrows are still pointing in different directions. They're not completely aligned. So your, your movement is not in sync. Your, your reference frame is not the same, but I'll wrap this up real quick. I know I'm boring all of you guys to death. I'm kind but of enjoying it for I'm, reference. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Brandon Sanderson thought of this and he manages to explain it away which i don't mean that as a slight at all he does explain it away with one neat little sentence but i also i don't mind that at all in a fictional work just to, just to be clear i i posted this question in the discord i was like well wait a second this wouldn't work on a rotating planet well if i just flipped over two more pages rushu the ardent explains this to us by saying that the fabrials that are that are linked here are actually operating based on how the spren are being perceived by the users. 
which this fits with like what we know about spren in general, right? They behave in ways related to how the people perceive them. And so if you, it's, it's less about the actual reference frame and point that you're in and more about your perceived reference frame that you're in. So as long as you don't think too hard about the fact that you're on a spinning planet on the opposite side and going in a different direction than the one you're sending to, it's fine. The spren won't realize that and you can communicate. But if you're on a ship where you know that you're bobbing up and down and moving around and the person on land is is still the spren pick up on that and it won't work. That was a really long explanation with a little bit of science and engineering, but that was my understanding of basically how span range work now. And I really enjoyed it. Wow. I, my favorite part of that explanation was that at the end, it's like, if you just don't think about it, yes, then the spren will think about it and then it'll be okay. Exactly. <laughs> that is one of my absolute favorite parts of the cognitive realm and how it interacts that if the, if the general audience doesn't know that, then it doesn't exist. And so as Roshar becomes more Cosme aware and they figure out they're on a spherical planet, span reads will stop working because they, they know that this will happen and span reads will stop working, which I just think is really funny. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to the perceived investiture versus how it's actually working. Um, we'll come back to that several times, but we'll also come back to that for our, episode 100 um our special reading which he uses to very cool effect in this the new secret project that's coming out so i'm excited for you guys to read that i'm looking forward to that anything else about your about your span reads uh nope i think that covers it for for span reads i feel like i'm a semi-expert now i even did a little bit of of searching on the, the internet, which I know is dangerous. I have to be very careful about, about spoilers. But I did find somebody on uh, Reddit who had wrote, written a, a scientific paper on how to redesign span reads to actually prevent this, to actually basically add another <clears throat> set of fabrials to subtract out the differences in the, uh, in the perceived reference frames, which I thought was genius and totally something I could see myself putting way too much time in writing a scientific paper about a fictional world. So kudos out to whoever that was. We have a full equation on how to do it. It's really, it's really funny. Another... It really gave me some flashbacks to to calculus with the velocity. You know, the 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 slope of a tangent line is what I'm thinking of finding right now. And get out your protractor. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The other part of chapter five that I had to take away from. Uh, was aluminum. They they kind of start talking about the some of the ardents uh, start talking about aluminum and how it can do interesting uh, interesting things to spren and fabrials. Would you guys go about that? I didn't know anything too specific other than. This is something we're going to have to have to watch. I mean, we just learned in our other stories that these metals seem to have powers that we should care more about. So seeing our Rosharians start to dabble into, okay, what can I do with, with different metals was interesting. So to see aluminum called out, I, I, just, I may have not uh, thought too much about this beforehand, but uh, after reading our, our stories, this definitely jumped out to me. 
yeah i'm kind of just waiting to figure out with aluminum um i've had thoughts about it because we've seen metals kind of all over but aluminum has popped up a lot recently um but i don't really understand it so i'm i'm just waiting the the only thing that i would just point out right now is in shadows for silence silver or what yeah silver i'll just say that has a a physical alter alteration of shades even if they're partly in the cognitive realm same thing with spren here what the crew and what these ardents are calling aluminum whether that's actually aluminum or not um, is a, another question but what they're calling aluminum has a physical alteration of spren um in uh, span reeds and fabrials and that's all connected with spren which spren are partly in the cognitive realm partly in the physical realm as well which again if you don't think about the curvature of the earth cognitive realm doesn't act that way you don't need to worry about it anything else from chapter five or these first chapters of dawn shard as always i'm excited to read more so we should do that Sounds good. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We'll reconvene next week. Goodbye. See ya.